rainy as it is, we know that with rain comes life. We know with the change of season, you exhibit your glory, your power, your majesty. Whatever season we are passing through in our own lives, we pray that you make us supple, make us soft and tender and ready to receive what you have in store for us. Help us to be vines that can be tended to, that can yield fruit, and help us to honor all that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Today is Remembrance Sunday. Remembrance Sunday. <coughs> a day in which... It's an interesting day, isn't it? Because not all Christian nations have churches who set aside a day in their calendar to honor the fallen who have fought in wars. Growing up, I didn't attend a national church or even a church of any repute. But yet we did have a football Sunday where we were invited to bring in a jersey of our favorite team, whether it be the Miami Dolphins, or Eagles. And that day, the pastor would be wearing a jersey. And it, the sermon would use football analogies. And everyone would be excited because he would be tapping into everyone's devotion to football. So when I came here and learned that there's actually a day in the church calendar <laughs> to honor the fallen, I thought that was a bit extraordinary. Now the readings are very pertinent. Let's turn to our first reading. From Philippians. From Philippians. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have for us for an example. <clears throat> this is oftentimes a contentious concept. On remembrance, Sunday, we uphold and honor the lads who gave their lives that we 
would be free. And in so doing, we say to our sons, in particular, be like them. Be like them. Oftentimes in Christian circles, we hear, follow Jesus, not man. And we have this false dichotomy pitched before us that you must either follow Jesus or follow man. And it is true that in the end, what all, at all times, you must be following Jesus. But the scripture is not contradictory. And here St. Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Be followers together of me. He says in another scripture, Be followers of me as I follow Christ. And so on Remembrance Sunday... We follow in the words of St. Paul where we say, You see these lads? Where the Bible says, No greater love is there than this, that a man should give his life for his friend. That a man should give his life for his friend. And what did Jesus himself do? He gave his life for his friends. He gave his life for his friends. And so when we say, on a Sunday, on a day of divine worship, we set aside a moment and we dedicate the day to honor, not just in World War I, World War II, but in all wars, them who would say, You will not harm my family. You will not harm my friends. I will take up a rifle, a sword, and go to where the danger is and give my life if needed. This, St. Paul is saying, be followers of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Find others who similarly, and here he expresses what the opposite is. And this is very important. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things, whose glory is their belly. So the opposite of following Paul, who follows Jesus, is following or acting in a way Where God, where your belly is your God. What do the children think it means for someone's belly to be their God? Yes, Lavinia. 
to only think of themselves. To only think of themselves. So, for example, on a day in which the nation you were not born in, the nation that you had no part in building, the house which you did not design, which you did not labor to build brick by brick, century after century, was hosting you as a guest. The day in which that house decides to honor its fallen, if you as a house guest Decide that you are going to protest against that honorable day. You have your belly for your God. If you decide that instead of doing the right thing in any context. You you do the selfish thing. Your belly is your God. Those lads, there's a different time. And as many of you have watched, perhaps Band of Brothers or other war movies, you would have known that The age of eligibility was maybe 16 with a parental signature. What parent today can imagine signing off their 16-year-old boy to take up a rifle and go to the front line? At 16, they could be signed off. And many boys who were 15 who couldn't be signed off, committed suicide. Honor mattered that much to these people. It mattered so much to know that they were willing and able to put their life on the line for their country for their people that they committed suicide. It's tragic. And the really interesting part is that this happened in the context of a Christian nation. And only in the context of a Christian nation can such a sacrifice be honorable or perhaps most honorable for if we were living under a pagan ruler fighting pagan wars it is less honorable the history of Christian nations is buried 
Who remembers the first Christian nation? The first Christian nation. Yes, Lavinia? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the heavenly city. Yes. But on earth, when Constantine legalizes Christianity and makes it the official religion or an acceptable religion, he doesn't mandate that all Romans become Christians, but he makes it the preferred religion. He gives it a place of honor, effectively saying, I am Christian, by the way, and I would love it if my subjects would become Christian too. And in that context, imagine if we were a congregation, and amidst our congregation was the king, was the emperor. His rule would be informed by Christian principles. He would be subject to God's moral authority. And so it is in that context that you can really get your head around why it is such an honorable thing that Christian soldiers took up arms to defend Christendom. But those who would have their belly for their God they would shirk from the responsibility. And it's a powerful image, isn't it? Because who is the first to exhibit having their belly for their God in the Bible? Ignatius. King. Cain? The king. The king. What king? The king. Okay. Who, sorry? Okay, yeah, but he's, a, he's, a, he's an angelic figure. It's a controversial whether they uh, consume anything. I, I'm not sure. That's in the gray area. It's in the unknown area. But on earth, who was the first to have God for uh, their belly for their God? Yes. Adam and Eve, because they partook of the apple. They, their belly, wanted that nourishment, more than God's command, more than God's moral law. And their glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. To mind earthly things. Those soldiers could have easily said, Sorry, I have a wife at home. I have a, a business to take care of. I have a degree to finish and not go. But they didn't mind earthly things. There was no earthly gain for them personally. They were not certain to survive. But yet they went. And so, we follow the example that they laid for us. For the end of those 
whose belly is their God is this, whose end is destruction, and whose glory is their shame. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence all so we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even able to subdue all things unto himself. What does that have to do with our gospel reading? Our gospel reading, which talks about giving unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what is God's to God's. Obviously, this is in a context where Caesar is not Christian. Caesar's a pagan figure claiming to be a deity, after all. You remember? He claimed to be God, divine, one of many in the pantheon of powerful spiritual beings. And the Bible says, you cannot serve two masters. And here it says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. What does that mean? Some would have us believe What's God's is a private faith that we practice at home and we keep quiet about and we never put into the public space. We never venture out to say anything untoward. And that's rendering to God what is God's. And to Caesar, that means do what Caesar expects you to do, no matter what. If he asks you to inject your child with a substance they say is necessary for the protection of society, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But that misses the context of this passage entirely. Look closely. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians. The Pharisees and the Herodians were not best mates. Okay? They were not best friends. The Pharisees hated the Herodians. The Herodians were puppets, half-breeds, blended Jew and Gentile, given power by the Caesars because they can be manipulated. And the Pharisees wanted a true theocratic Jewish state freed of Roman rule. So they wouldn't be best mates with the puppet of Roman Dominance in their land. But why? But here the Pharisees, the Pharisees 
have decided they've got an opportunity. They're going to trip up this carpenter from Podunk, Galilee. Galilee, if you've ever been up there, is countryside. It's rural. The Lord Jesus came from flyover country, you might say. Do the children know what flyover country is? What is flyover country? There's not much of it here, really, but in the U.S. there's loads of flyover country. Flyover country, no? So most of people in the United States live on the coasts. They love their New York cities. They love their Washingtons. They love their Miamis. And then they love their L.A.'s. San Francisco's and they believe that there's nothing really of any value in the middle planes need to fly over that and so it's called flyover country just country you need to fly over to get to the good bits to get to where the excitement is Jesus was from flyover country you might say and here the Pharisees are thinking we're going to catch him We're going to catch him out. Master, we know that thou art true and teaches the way of God in truth. They come very humbly. Master. Remember, these are the same Pharisees that put him to death. And they're looking for a way to trap him. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? You see, the Herodians are Caesar's puppets. And if Jesus says, don't give your tax, they've got him. A rebel crucified. And if he says, do what Caesar wants, then the Pharisees can say, aha, see, he's allied with the Romans. He's not one of us. Why are you following him? So it's like a lose-lose situation. It's one of those, there's no right answer, they think. But they underestimate Jesus Christ. Says, but Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, And unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled, and they left him, and they went their way. And this is one of the early episodes where me, uh, me personally, as a as a non-believer, when I was first being called to God, and I read the Gospel of John, the image that people gave me of Jesus was always of a kind of like a high school guidance counselor. 
you guys have those here? It's like, um, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17, and you're wondering um, what you're going to do in life, or you're having trouble with a teacher, and uh, you're really emotional, and you just can't handle the stress and the anxiety, and you can't talk to the teacher because they're marking your work, so you go to this uh, impartial observer, this impartial uh, counselor, when you shed your tears and you sit on their couch and you tell them the whole story and they pat you on the head. And they weren't the brightest. They were always, the teachers hated them. They always thought, they always called them failed teachers. Um, <clears throat> I never really liked them either. They were kind of just flunkies and they had really nothing good to say. Just bad advice. At least that's my experience. Not clever, just flunkies. So when I read the Gospel of John, and I see this Jesus who is adept at dodging and navigating difficult philosophical quandaries, I was very impressed. And what does this principle mean? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and what to God. It is not as simple as just do what Caesar says. Keep your God at home. It is in whatever context you're in. And in whatever capacity you can. Obey Caesar. Then do so. For the things that pertain to Caesar, which do not intersect with God, for example, that coinage that has Caesar's image, he was saying, that belongs to Caesar, that is his doing, that is his dealing. Don't stake your life, don't shape your whole world around that coin. That belongs to Caesar. Over here, in this context, in the context that he's speaking to, by the way, which is in Judea, under Roman rule, the state had not yet been enveloped by Christianity. So you had to find this right balance. What do I do when I have a pagan state? Well, just... Do give Caesars what is give the pagan, give that pagan thing to the pagans, and you do God's thing. And to some extent, we are in a in a in a situation today where we have Remembrance Sunday. We hearken back to a time where there was a Christian nation under a Christian king fighting a Christian cause in many of the wars and we're offering honor to the lads who gave their lives there is this like with Constantine a Christian nationalism we're talking about a Christian nationalism where the rules are Christian the laws are Christian 
Heck, did you know that in order to be an MP, in order to be admitted into Oxford and Cambridge, you needed to sign an oath ascending to the 39 Articles of Religion. You could not, for a time, go to Oxford or Cambridge if you were not Christian. You could not be an MP if you were not a Christian. The verses, there are verses of the Bible written on the floor of Parliament. The symbols of monarchy are Christian. The oath... The oath of coronation is a Christian oath. We were a Christian nation. But now we are drifting more into perhaps a context where our gospel message might be more pertinent. The king has lost his preeminence. Long ago, the monarchy has. I don't know about you, but I would welcome a counterbalance against a parliament that has run amok with its power. It is a unilateral voice now, whereas before our, monarch, our constitutional monarchy had a balance where one checked the other. Now there really isn't a check. And therefore we have not a Christian prime minister, not a Christian home secretary, and it shows under the rule of the last few monarchs we have seen the national church plunge deeper and deeper into heresy and its people depart from its identity as a Christian nation. So when we honor the fallen, at least I personally have a tinge of sadness to that honor, not just for their death, but it's almost a day of mourning for a nation. A day of mourning for the people who gave their lives, yes, but also for a nation who has turned its back on itself. Who has forgotten that God claimed possession of this nation many centuries ago. That we ought to render to God what is God's. Instead of rendering unto Caesar what is God's. Our laws are now full of unchristian laws. And the thing about it is living a Christian, li living a Christian life is not a private life. We live, we live lives inherently public. More than ever before. On Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, 
We are the most public beings that have ever walked the earth. And so it is not possible, indeed not the expectation from the scriptures, that we live private, tidy, nice, set-aside Christian lives. Because God and His Son came out of their divine majesty. God could have said, Jesus, you're going to stay by my side for eternity. We're going to let that just go to complete destruction. But he said, no, I'm coming, I'm emptying myself of my divine grandeur up in the heavens. And I'm going to take on human flesh. I'm going to go into the world. I'm going to declare myself publicly to the authorities who will then crucify me. His death was a political statement against a political upheaval. What Pilate knew, perhaps subconsciously, was that this seed of religion would grow from a family to a church to a nation and usurp the rule of the pagan emperor. So when we honor the fallen today, we remember their sacrifice. We remember how they modeled dying for their friends. We remember how they modeled Jesus Christ to us. And we remember what we once were. So that we can strive to be that yet again. For from a ragtag group of 12 uneducated, <laughs> lower middle class, lower class perhaps, there was no middle class back then, podunk country boys, fishermen, the whole world has been set ablaze. Just think about that. A little group of guys in some village up north of Jerusalem set the whole world ablaze and brought you and me a peace that passes all understanding, an affection for one another that is incomprehensible, a willingness to sacrifice, a desire to follow our captain over the trench, into no man's land, through flying bullets, falling mortar shells, come what may, 
This is our faith. This is our Lord. This is what we have done. And we can do yet more. Let us honor them by doing it again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.